Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. It's a whole new world. It's 2024, and... The genie is out of the bottle, and there's a lot of different reasons to say that. But what I wanted to do here today is, yes, it's important to to think through where we're headed in the new year. It's 2024. Secondly, I think it's important to revisit, because we can't make wild, bold predictions about crashes and world events. We know that those will come or they won't come, and there's no way to predict what happens exogenously in the world or in the United States. But we we can go back and focus on fundamental themes that we know have already been changing and are really accelerating into that change in the new year. One and two, revisit some of the most important fundamental ways that the Retire Sooner community, if you're thinking about getting to retirement a little bit sooner, are so important to revisit, understand, and then maybe double down on or implement or re-implement if you've maybe gotten a little bit off track. So 2024, we're going to get in the gym and we're going to work out and we're going to figure out what we should be doing into the new year. We spent a lot of time, I've spent a lot of time thinking this through our investment committee as well, Connor Miller, our, our chief investment officer, who has helped walk through and think through themes that we think are really important and ideas They're not necessarily themes, but ideas that are fundamental to investing that are important that we remember here as the new year gets going. There are six of these ideas and themes that we're going to cover today. Yes, it's a whole new world. The the reason I think it's a whole new world is a couple of things. One, we have the advent of artificial intelligence that we've had AI for well over a decade, we had AI for longer than that, but we've we've now have generative AI, which is a is a game changer, and that absolutely burst onto the scene in 2023, and it and it drove markets. And there's a lot of that that could and will over time impact the economy. We don't know exactly what that's going to be, but that's it's never going back in the bottle. Inflation is not going back in the bottle anytime soon. I think of some of the developments like. The, the semi-glutide drugs from Eli Lilly, Ozempic, Wagovi, we've heard of these. They were newer in 2023, at least the adoption. They're game-changing. These are massive leaps forward in the world of healthcare. We've seen massive leaps forward in work for combating Alzheimer's from some of the big drug companies that have been working on this for decades, and we saw huge breakthroughs in, in 2023. 
those genies have escaped the bottle. They are not going back in. They have changed the landscape of the world. And for the most part, I think they're changing the world and the economy for, for the better. But higher interest rates, that genie's out of the bottle. And we're, we're going to have to live with that in the new year. And then I think of inflation maybe in this way, and it's maybe because I watch too many Marvel and superhero movies because I have four younger boys. And fortunately, I get to skip things like, I guess it's the Frozens of the world, but I'm seeing every Marvel or and every monster movie. And I think of, in my mind, maybe it's a, it's a Game of Thrones reference, maybe it is a Godzilla reference, but inflation has roamed the earth like Godzilla for the better part of modern economic history. It is something that we've always been scared of perennially to either combat against, protect ourselves against, avoid. It is that Godzilla-like monster has roamed the earth is ever since we've been investing, ever since we started investing. And that's, again, let's call at least the last hundred years. So we know about that threat. What's so interesting about it is just like in some of these superhero or monster movies, that beast was frozen in the Arctic tundra. It was frozen in a glacier and the world kind of forgot about it. We went about a decade, a little longer than a decade, and nobody was really all that worried about inflation. Where did it go? Oh, oh yeah, inflation. Well, 1%, what's the big deal? Then we know what happened. The pandemic came. There was a tidal wave of money supply, fresh money, and it melted that massive iceberg where the Godzilla inflation monster lay rest for over a decade. It's now flying the earth again, swim the oceans, flying the earth. And it's something we have to protect ourselves against here in this whole new world. The genie's out of the bottle. By the way, that is an Aladdin reference. Whole new world came from the movie Aladdin, which is where genie from the bottle came. And it all comes together in the 2024 theme in for the Retire Sooner podcast. Now think of it this way. There's also a chart that I think for investors need to drive your thinking over the next, call it five years, 10 years. And it's a simple, if you were to pull up an inflation chart and go back to call it around the financial crisis, go back to 2007. And then we see this economic recovery. And then we look at what inflation did all the way until right before the pandemic, 12 years worth of inflation that only amounted to 18%. So 12 years, and all we got was 18% of inflation over that entire period of time. So just a little more than 1% per year. Almost unnoticeable. Again, frozen in the glacier. Then the pandemic hit, and since 2020, we've had 20% inflation in just three years. So think of just that visual ramp up. This long period of time, almost a flat line, a little bit of inflation, and then wham, 20% inflation in just three years. Inflation, it's here to stay, it's roaming the earth, and it is target number one for us as investors. It is the thing that we need to defeat over time to be able to protect our purchasing power, to be able to protect ourselves against wilting dollars, to be able to maintain the standard of living that we want to maintain over the course of our retirement years. So inflation is target number one, and the ideas for this year, the six ideas I'm about to share Many of them harken back to being able to defeat inflation. And we start with the U.S. economy. There is no place that economists get forecasting more wrong than what happens with the economy. I think back in the beginning of last year, 
10 out of 11 or 11, 11 out of 10 economists predict that we're going to have a recession. I went back and looked at headlines from the end of 2022, head into 2023. This one's from December 2022 from Bloomberg. It was showing the recession odds as a consensus of U.S., major U.S. economists starting the year last year, 70% odds that we would hit recession. Here's another gloomy and very wrong headline. October 2022, forecast for the United States. This is Bloomberg Economics sees near certainty for downturn that will start in, in the coming year. Headline is forecast for U.S. recession within year hits 100%. But that recession never happened. It didn't even come close. In fact, when we do the final tabulation, which still won't be for a little while, 2023 will have grown around 2.5%. So calls for recession of minus 1% to 2%. Nope, it was the, completely the inverse or the opposite of that, plus 2.5%. And one of the quarters from last year was up over 5% in GDP growth. That's not just a little bit of growth. That's a massive surge in growth. I think the only person that maybe got this right was Louis C.K. Louis C.K. talks about, he's actually a comedian, not an economist. He's famous for saying, everything is amazing right now and nobody's happy. This is a, a very recent article. Think about 2023, we had, a, we had a stock market up over 20%. We had a bond market that finally did well for the first time in many years. And an unemployment rate that stayed under 4% for the entire year and, and quite frankly, the year before that as well. Those are all big, important chunks of how the economy did. Yet Americans are still unhappy with the economy. This is a New York Times Siena poll conducted, call it two months ago in November. 81% of Americans described the condition of the economy as either poor or fair. 81%, only 19% of people thought it was either good or excellent. Awful lot going well, nobody's happy. Guess what? There's there's really one reason for this. And if you go through and look at, there's a Gallup poll that asks, what is the most important financial problem facing your family today? There's two dozen reasons people can pick from, then they rank them. Social security, the employment situation, is it too much debt? Is it the state of the economy? What would you say the biggest problem is? And even though there's 24 different responses, it really boils down to one thing, inflation. It's inflation. Number one on the list, the high cost of living and inflation. Number two on the list, the high cost of owning and renting a home. Next on the list, the high cost of debt, the high cost of energy, the high cost of healthcare. The list goes on. Every answer is because of inflation. It is, again, the reason Americans are uneasy, the reason Americans are unhappy. And guess what? It's target number one for all of us to defeat in our retire sooner journey. Oh, and by the way, maybe Louis C.K. was the only guy that was right about the economy in 2023. So it's really hard to make predictions. However, it's very conceivable that we have a pretty okay economy or a pretty good economy in the year 2024. Now, again, there's lots of calls for recession, just like there were last year. Yes, there's plenty of economic headwinds. There always are. Yes, we've seen the excess savings that was accumulated in the pandemic. That's gotten whittled down for the most part. So bank accounts are a little less flush. Yes, we. there's no secret that we've had for many years and it continues to get worse. That's the ballooning national debt. It's $34 trillion. And because rates are higher, the cost to service that debt has continued to expand. And there's also no secret that we've got a commercial real estate issue in the United States as 
working from home dramatically changed the commercial real estate game. People just plain don't work in the office as much as they used to before 2020. Those are all variables that could weigh down the economy. Those could all throw us into a negative GDP situation. Could create fear, commercial real estate, then we have a banking issue, then banks lend even less than they're lending today. Consumers clam up, they stop spending. And sure, we could go to a negative GDP situation and guess what? That would likely be a recession. However, I think it's very difficult to slow down the army of American productivity. The army of American productivity is, is the unstoppable inertia that is the U.S. labor force. You got about 166 million folks out there in that labor force. That's a big army. And that group continues to drive innovation and drive economic progress 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that drives, I believe, that over the long run, U.S. companies are the beneficiary of that army of productivity, which gives all of us an opportunity to invest in those companies. That collective, that group gets to harness all the work that happens every single second of the day, all the innovation that happens every single second of the day to push things further, that this, this tank, this freight train of productivity that creeps higher and higher and keeps getting more and more efficient with more innovation over time. It's not a straight line. We have better years than we fall back. But here we are with an economy that has over 96% employment over 96% of people that want to work are working. That means pockets are full, people have money coming in, and guess what? Inflation, that is, in a, is a problem in some respects, we're also seeing in wages. So people's wages have been going up, and now that the rate of inflation has actually come down in the United States, we're seeing wage growth higher than inflation, meaning that for the first time in a very long time, people are getting real raises, a real raise, is that if inflation's five and you get a raise of four, you're really still 1% worse off. A real raise is that if inflation is five and you get a 7% raise, it's a 2% real raise. And we're very likely to see that here in 2024. Put that all together. Maybe we don't have a two and a half percent robust US economy, but can we grow in the one to 2% range? Absolutely. And I think that lands us in what I would consider a Goldilocks economy. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It's somewhere in between. And that's a, that's a decent economic environment that we could see in 2024. Now, number two, that also means that we could see a broadening out of the equity markets. So again, another theme, if we're, talk, we're talking about stocks, one of the best arrows in our quiver to combat said Godzilla-like inflation that roams the earth. We know that in 2023, stocks were extreme, stock returns were extremely narrow. There was a select group called the Magnificent Seven, the Mag Seven. It was, it was big companies like Apple and Microsoft and Alphabet and Meta, et cetera, that, that the world swooned to because of AI, the initial AI boom. As recently as November of 2023, 100% of the entire positive return in the S&P 500 was because of those companies. That means that the other 493 were sitting on the bench doing, doing almost nothing. Fortunately, that did start to broaden out. And we saw a lot more participation from the average size company, just the large cap, not the ultra mega caps, 
which ultimately did get to a pretty decent low double-digit return by the end of 2023. In fact, if you look at the S&P 500 versus the S&P 500 equal weight index, remember S&P 500 is cap-weighted, so you can have a couple gigantic trillion-dollar companies that have huge influence on how the index itself does, and a mere $10 billion company could be up 100% for the year but have almost no impact on the upside of the S&P 500. But we can also look at what's called the S&P 500 equal weighted index, where all 500 companies have the same share or the same weight. 2023, it was the biggest divergence between those two, S&P 500 and S&P 500 equal weight, that we've seen in 20 years. And the equal weighted index, the think the average company with the average weight, was trounced by about 15%, very much left behind, very much out of balance. And when you see something that's that out of balance, the most that we've seen in 20 years, it does stand to reason we get a return, we get a reversion of the mean, and we could see the average or more median-sized company participate in markets as well, a broadening out of equity market returns. Anytime you see a company, a group of companies that gets largely shunned by investors and has an attractive valuation, by the way, the MAG-7 trades at a whopping 33 times earnings, the average stock a more reasonable 18 times. Anytime you get a group that gets forgotten about or shunned, at some point over the course of market history, investors start to pay attention to that group. Hey, that's, that's the group that's on sale. We could see that play out in 2024. We could also see a renewed appetite for finding dividend-paying stocks. 2023 was an interesting year where because interest rates shot up so much for the first time in 10 or 15 years, really the highest level in 22 years for the Fed funds rate, fixed income or bonds or CDs were kind of the new game in town. All of a sudden at 4 and 5%, money flowed into that area and it was an environment that easily kind of left, oh, the 2 and 3 and 4% dividend-paying stock behind. The world has digested these higher interest rates. We've had them now for more than a year. Even though there was a shock to the system and the Fed still is at the highest Fed funds rate we've seen in 22 years, the economy's to some extent digested and gotten used to these higher rates. And because inflation, we think at least the rate is moderating a little bit, it means the Fed could ultimately lower rates at least one, two, maybe three times this coming year even without having to go into a recession. They've said for a long time, we're going to raise rates, we're going to leave them there for a while to cool things down, i.e. inflation, at least the rate of inflation, then we can calm down. So we could see as we've emerged from this new environment, and we're in a whole new world, people are used to higher interest rates, we're used to inflation. You could see a push from investors finding those dividend yielders that have become relatively unpopular. Maybe there's a light that shines on them again. Thinking about retirement in 2024? Well, you're not alone, and I've got just the thing to help guide you on your journey. What the happiest retirees know. My most recent book that shares the 10 habits of the happiest retirees. Meant to help you land at a place where work becomes optional. For a limited time, get 25% off at westmossbooks.com. Simply use the promo code OURTREAT, all one word, at checkout. That's wesmossbooks.com.
Number three on the list, bonds. Bonds are back. Bonds had a rough run for a couple of years. And finally, in 2023, because of the end of the year, eked out a pretty decent rate of return. But in the world of bonds, IOUs, fixed investing, again, this is not equity investing. It's kind of the polar end of the spectrum. It's not my favorite way to hedge inflation, but it's certainly an area for investors to have dry powder and to use as, as diversification. And by the way, we're going to talk about remembering the importance of a balanced portfolio and how that can stocks and bonds can work together in just a minute. But as for this category that did wonderfully well for the better part of the last 40 years, had a rough couple of last years. Because in the bond world, there's a saying that goes like this, yield is destiny. Meaning that historically, 86% of total return we get from bonds or fixed income is dictated by their starting interest rate. The low rates, typically not a great outlook for total returns. Higher rates, here we are, 22-year high, greatly improves the overall return outlook for fixed income or bonds. And if you're an income investor, over the last, again, 30 and 40 years, bonds have been a really useful part of the portfolio not just for the income, but for that stabilization role within an investment portfolio. And that's because of their counter cyclicality with stocks. This relationship didn't work all that well when interest rates hit the zero bound for a while. Now that they're back to more normal levels, bonds should go back to providing that cushion for investors when stocks get hit. Next up on the list, number four, put the last two together. We talked about stocks broadening out. We talked about how bonds are in a better position they've been in for a while. And again, of course, there's no guarantee on returns on any of these categories, but we're talking about where, where they're positioned moving into the new year. There's something very important about putting all of these different pieces together. It's called asset allocation. It's beyond just diversification. And Harry Markowitz was an economist that won the Nobel Prize behind the whole concept of Having a balanced portfolio, a 60% stock and a 40%, 30% bond and 10% cash portfolio. And ever since he won the Nobel Prize around this, Wall Street has loved it. They've dismissed it. Now, now they may love it again. But headlines about the, quote, balanced portfolio, they're really talking about rates of return in any given year. And they ignore the whole concept's fundamental purpose, which is a diversification of different asset classes using a combination of the multiple areas in the investment landscape to, to just reduce your volatility and smooth out your glide path to reach your long-term goals. So it's a, it's now used, the term 60-40, it's really used as, this, as a proxy for diversification. And it doesn't have to be exactly 60% stocks and 40% bonds. It could be 80% stocks and 20% bonds, 70% and 30. It's really along this entire spectrum, the concept for the most part, provided we're not at either end of the spectrum, anywhere in the middle is giving you some of that counter cyclicality, some of that asset allocation that is meant to find you a maximum rate of return at a given amount of risk. Let's go through the following illustration. And we're using the 4% rule here, 4% rule, which is take out, we're going to start with a million dollars, 4%, it's $40,000, and do that for 20 years, increased for inflation. So 40,000, if inflation goes up by 10%, it's automatically 44,000 is the new higher watermark. 
So if we go back over the last 20 years, so 03 through 2023, if we just invested in treasuries and each year we were using the one-year treasury rate, million dollars, we would have taken out just just shy of 1.2 million, which is 40,000 over 20 years, bumped up every year for inflation. You're starting to almost completely run out of money in that scenario. The million dollars now is less than 250,000. But if, it, if you use the balance, 60% stock, 40% bond portfolio, again, you withdrew the same amount of money, just shy of 1.2 million, you're left with over $1.4 million at the end of that 20-year period. So even though we saw multiple stock bear markets during that period of time, the great financial crisis, the pandemic, there were other bear markets. And we saw about a two, almost three-year stretch that was the worst for the bond side of that portfolio we've seen in almost 100 years. The balance of those two asset classes together still trounced investing in a highly protective way, not using the asset allocation, but just choosing the most, quote, conservative or safest asset class year after year after year. The balance is our friend and remembering that balance, whatever it might be for you, and it's going to be different maybe for, it will be different for almost everyone in some respect, but the balance itself is the key. Put that all together and all of these themes, number five, bring us to no matter what economic environment we're in, the inflation monster has awakened and as investors, we need to remember that that is target number one. So number five here on our outlook of ideas and themes, hedging against inflation remains critical. Now, again, as challenging as stocks have been and real estate, as an example, has been and value has been or dividend paying stocks in 2023 has been. If I look over the past three years and we know inflation has been around 20%, that's where we started this whole conversation. A broad variety of stocks, the Russell 1000 Growth Index, the Russell 1000 Value Index, the S&P 500, energy pipeline companies as a sector, REITs, believe it or not, real estate investment trusts as a group, have largely kept up with or way outpaced inflation over the past three years. So pretty simply, investing in assets that have the ability to inflate along with inflation Hard to find other areas that work a whole lot better than that. Yes, physical real estate, I would say, is definitely one of those categories that can do that. Owning businesses, private businesses, absolutely something that can do that. But the equity markets that invest all over the United States and, and do business all over the world in categories from real estate to energy to energy transportation to just the larger sectors of dividend stocks versus growth stocks, if you give it enough time it's hard for those arrows not to work. With that, why would we think inflation continues to circle the earth? Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons why we don't think it's going back into the glacier. Number one is deglobalization. The IMF calls this slobalization, and it, and it really started about a decade ago. If you look back over the last 40 years, we... For the better part of call the 40 years prior to that, the, the trend in the United States and really for countries around the world has been to just continue to seek out cheaper and cheaper countries to do business in. We can go make our goods over here because they're less expensive, then we can import them back in. So we're, we're, we're constantly exporting, finding a lower cost provider. And that was great for keeping inflation somewhat low. But if you look at the share of exports around the world, 
the United States and other countries, it's really flatlined over the past 10 years. And then that trend accelerated even more in a post-COVID world. Not only did globalization slow down, it got very unpopular. Now, we want to make everything here in the United States because we can't continue to rely on other economies that may have totally different policies around things we can't control. And by the way, it takes a month for a ship to get from there to here. We don't have time for that. Let's start making things here in the United States. Maybe it costs more, but at least we can get it. That's choosing accessibility. It's choosing availability to some extent over cost. So globalization is inflationary, not deflationary. The next piece of this is a, a massive commodity underinvestment. It's maybe hard to remember, but back in 2014, the price of oil got crushed. It went down by over 50%, 2014 through 2015. And it really, really hurt a lot of the energy business, put a lot of people out, put a lot of companies out of business. Ever since then, oil companies couple that with the environmental movements and the, and the climate movements that, quote, oil is bad. Oil companies have been really hesitant to double down on their capital expenditures. Say, hey, let's go find more oil. Let's go spend more money to pull more oil out of the ground. Same thing goes with other commodities. Copper is the same way. We've seen, you look at the oil industry, you look at the copper industry, one's fuel, one's, one's a, a metal, Capital expenditures have come down dramatically in both those categories since 2014. Now, here we are with an even bigger world, more population, more GDP. And despite all the Teslas we see driving around, we still need more fossil fuel than we ever have. Again, underinvestment in commodities means a low supply, means higher prices. Pretty simple, inflationary tailwinds or you call it inflationary headwinds. Then, of course, something that is not a secret at all, and that, uh, that is that we hit $34 trillion in government debt. And because interest rates are a lot higher, the cost of that debt is going up. That makes it really tough for monetary policies, the money spigot coming out of Washington, to not get narrower. It just, it's been, it's been full-blown. It's been gushing for years. And whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, both sides of the aisle, look at that number and they're staggering. Everyone knows that Washington needs to pump the brakes. Now, whether they do that or not anytime soon is another question. But slowing down of that excess tidal wave of money that thawed out the glacier that released the inflation monster, that tidal wave of money that is very inflationary, that's got to slow down. Speaking of Washington... We have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen in 2024. Is it going to be Biden versus Trump? Who knows? As of the early of the year, it seems pretty clear that that's the case, but we have no idea what's going to happen. What we do know is that it's a re-election year, meaning that the guy that's currently in office is running again. And historically, the market has done pretty well in that situation. The S&P 500 hasn't declined in a re-election year since 1944. The past 11 presidential re-election years have been up. And if we look at just overall performance for re-election years versus open election years, there's also a huge difference between those two. If you go back to 1960, the, the S&P 500's average gain is 13% higher in presidential re-election years compared to open elections. Why could that be? Well, 
I think it's pretty simple. The guy in office wants to keep his job. So they'll do everything they can. And again, this is Republicans or Democrats will do everything they can, all the tools at their disposal to make sure the economy isn't that bad headed into the end of the year, November re-election. Here are a couple of economic headlines that have already hit the wire that are little levers. Some of these are bigger than others that could come out of Washington that would, to some extent, goose the economy. One, record U.S. oil production pushing prices down. Remember, we used the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that was for emergencies? Well, the emergency was that gas prices were really high. That's a headline from Axios. This is from the Washington Post. Federal infrastructure, clean energy spending is powering the economy, lifting GDP. From Bloomberg, China and the U.S. could strive for peaceful coexistence. I think Washington knows that at least in the short term, Maybe less tariffs would goose economic trade back and forth to China, trying to offset some of that deglobalization. And I feel like I read one of these almost every day. There's always some new twist in student loan forgiveness. Here's why 2024, this is from CNBC, here's why 2024 could be the year student loan borrowers finally get their forgiveness. Again, forgive a couple more billion dollars in student loans. Those payments don't have to go to debt. They end up in spending. They goose the economy. All levers that Washington can pull to try to cheer up Americans, quite frankly, couldn't really be less depressed about the economy, according to almost any poll you read. Put it all together, and I think 2024, despite all the naysayers, like we saw in 2023 and we see in 2024, could be a pretty good year. Yes, it's a whole new world. Artificial intelligence, higher interest rates, a new era of inflation, massive advances in medicine. But the tried and true practice of investing in a balanced way, in a balanced mix of dynamic dividend-paying companies, along with the steadiness of fixed income, continues to be a path that, that I believe makes a lot of sense for a lot of investors. Do you take dynamic companies in the United States, durable business models, all powered by the Army of American Productivity. And oh, by the way, many of those took a back seat in 2023. We could see some value unleashed in the coming year. Bond yields, again, yield is destiny in the bond world. The highest we've seen in 22 years on the federal funds rate, at least. Put those two super important inflation weapons together. And I think that could be the weapon or defense we need. And we all seek to combat inflation for the long haul. And that's something that every happy retiree needs to do. Hey, y'all, this is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This information is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. There is no guaranteed offer that investment return, yield, or performance will be achieved. Stock prices fluctuate, sometimes rapidly and dramatically, due to factors affecting individual companies, particular industries or sectors, or general market conditions. For stocks paying dividends, dividends are not guaranteed and can increase, decrease, or be eliminated without notice. Fixed income securities 
involve interest rate, credit, inflation, and reinvestment risks and possible loss of principal. As interest rates rise, the value of fixed income securities falls. Past performance is not indicative of future results when considering any investment vehicle. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. Investment decisions should not be based solely on information contained here. This information is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment, tax, estate, or financial planning considerations or decisions. The information contained here is strictly an opinion and it is not known whether the strategies will be successful. The views and opinions expressed are for educational purposes only as of the date of production and may change without notice at any time based on numerous factors such as market and other conditions.